their journey began in Yasharel. But they were scattered across the face of the earth. Each one with its own beats, and each one with its own rhythm. As the dry bones are being revived, the beat begins again at the heart of the tribe. Hello, hello. Welcome to the weekly show of Heart of the Tribe, where we look into uh, the different tribes and what that means for us today and try to figure out why in the world did Yaakov say in Genesis 49, gather yourselves unto me and I shall be I shall tell you what will befall you in the Akarit Hayamim, in the very end of days. Shalom, Lee Hood, good to see you here today. Tammy, so nice to see you here today. I'm so glad you guys can be here to join me, and I pray that this is a blessing to you. So today, and there's James and Lee, welcome, good to see you guys. Um, today, what we're looking at, you know, kind of where we lost left off last week, we were talking about the priesthood, right? And we were talking about um, how it was divided. So I have this little picture. Hopefully you guys can see this. See in the center here, you can see the tabernacle and you see what we were talking about last week with the way that things were arranged and different parts of the tribe of Levi had different jobs. And then as you go out, you can see the different sides of it. So the priesthood that served to go into the tabernacle, into the, the Holy of Holies, you know, the high priest and into the holy place and then the high priest into the Holy of Holies. So what, what were the tribes that were near them? Well, then you take it out this way and you've got Yehuda, right? And the, in the marching order, the way that they would have gone to war, Yehuda led the way. You know, they were the first one into battle. So that's kind of what we're going to start looking. And they, you know, were there in front of the the Levites, the, the high priest and the Levitical priesthood that ministered directly to Yah. And the, their very name is means praise. And so we're going to get into that a little bit. But I just kind of wanted to show you that picture, you know, to keep it in mind and be thinking about how that works. Now, if we were going to talk about the lineage of Yahuda, Yahuda's here at the top, and this is his family tree. Okay. I mean, it's incredible until we get to the, at the bottom. See this, there's the tribe with Mary and, and Yosef getting to Yahusha, right? And so that's quite the family tree. There's a lot to talk about, and we're not going to talk about all of it today. <laughs> I'm going to scratch the surface of this tribe and share with you what y'all had put on my heart about it. And so I'm going to go ahead and add my screen, my study to the screen so you guys can see that. And here we go. All right. So looking at Yahuda. The first thing I did was put the name Yahuda in paleo. So you can see it. We've got a Yud, Hey, Vav, Dalit, Hey. So what does that sound like to you? Yud, Hey, Vav, 
hey, well, here, what do we have right in the middle of it? A doorway, right? An entrance way. I think that that is incredible. Inserted into the name of Yahweh, now we have a dalit and a doorway, the tent flap coming on in, right? So back in 2002 was when Yah kind of downloaded into my heart this, this message called Heart of the Tribe and what it was. And so what happened, he kind of gave me, showed me within the Psalms that if you wanted to recognize these people at the end of days, that what you would see is you would see certain personality traits and, and what, what was the praise coming out of their heart? What was the cry coming out of their heart? And so this is the one he gave me for Yahuda, and it's found in Psalms 103, 19. It says, Yahweh has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Right. And I found that very, different, uh, very, very interesting today as I was even looking at it further. I've been I've been pondering this for a long time, but we are going to even talk about um, some astronomy and what's in in the stars and um, and some key things that I that I think are interesting with this. But anyway, to this is what I wrote back in between 2002, 2004. And so. Um, I wanted to share this part with you. The key to understanding the heart of Yahuda of, of Yahuda is kingship. Yahuda has the right of rulership within the people of Yasharel. Yosef, who passed it to Ephraim, has the blessing of the firstborn. Now we see this in First Chronicles 5, 1 and 2. There's a whole nother descriptive list in first chronicles five about each and every tribe it's another really great passage within the scriptures that you know to to study out i've noticed when you're looking at the 12 there are so many key passages and key things to study there are so many things divided up into the 12 one i've recently been looking at is that there are 12 systems in our physical body, body systems, right? And when you look at it, you can line those up according to the names of the first 12 tribes and see what body system, which I find very interesting when we look at 1 Corinthians 12 about the fact that Yahusha describes us as a body. We are a body, you know, that's supposed to work together for him. And when you think about that with the body systems and you can line them up specifically with a tribe, there are also 12 major constellations. And I believe that you can line up the tribes there. You know, there's so much, there's so much that you can, can line them up. I'm there's 12 minor prophets. I spent the morning this morning, really kind of lining up all 12 tribes within the 12 minor prophets, right? Thinking of the three major prophets coming as Abraham, uh, Yitzhak, and Yolkov. So you've got the three major, and then you've got the 12 minor with the sons, and it plays out within the namings, and they line up specifically with those. And so hopefully in a later study, we'll get to some of that. So I just wanted to share, there's a lot of exciting things that we can talk about with this, but I'm going to start today here. Okay, so the key to understanding the heart of Yahudah is kingship. 
Um, so we, we saw that right in First Chronicles 5, 1 and 2. We understand that the birthright passed from Yosef to Ephraim, and we see Ephraim's story uh, played out in the book of uh, Husha, which would be Hosea, right? Okay, so Jacob said in Genesis uh, 48, 8 through 12, Yehuda, your brothers will acknowledge you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down before you. The scepter will not pass from Yahuda. So I see this as one of the biggest struggles. Um, this is the biggest struggle we see in the sons of Elohim on the earth today. I'm just reading to you guys from my notes, right? I've been working on this forever. I've got a very, very, very long document on my computer that I continue to, to uh, add to. So this is the biggest struggle we see in the sons of Elohim on the earth today, Yehuda and Ephraim, the Jews and the Christians, trying to work together and understand one another. However, Yahweh says he will restore these two houses to live as one people in his presence. In Ezekiel 37, 15 through 17, it says, the word of Yahweh came again unto me saying, moreover, son of, son of Adam, Take you one stick and write upon it for Yehuda and for the children of Yasharel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Yosef, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Yasharel, his companions, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in your hand. Okay. Another example from scripture of how the remnant from the tribe of Yehuda and the tribe of Ephraim will work together in the last days is found in Isaiah 11, 13 through 14. Ephraim's jealousy will cease. Those who harass Yehuda will be cut off. Ephraim will stop envying Yehuda and Yehuda will stop provoking Ephraim. They will swoop down on the flank of the Philistine, the Philistines, right? To the west. Together, they will put out their hand over Edom and Moab, and the people of Ammon will obey them. Okay, so those are just a few promises of what's to come as these two, as these two houses come back together and become one in the hand of Yahusha. All right, so let's examine the blessing of Yaakov. Um, and and I, I thought we would get to Moshe. We're not going to get to Moshe today. We, we, I couldn't even finish everything that I found in this blessing of 8 through 12. There's uh, Genesis 49, 8 through 12. I, I, there's no way I could even finish it all today. But we're going to go into quite a bit of it. Okay, so in Genesis 49, 8 through 12, Yehuda. Ye, you are he whom your brethren, your brethren shall praise. Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Yehuda is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you are gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. I'm sorry, not crouched. He couched, right? He couched as a lion and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Yehuda, nor a Torah giver from between his feet until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be binding his foal 
unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choicest vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. While just reading through it, you can't help but see Yahusha shining through in this. And, you know, this is the difference between studying different parts of passages. Different passages tell us different things about the tribe. When we're looking at Genesis 49, it is very specific that Yolkov gathered his sons together to tell them what was going to happen at the very last moment of time to each tribe. This was a word spoken to each tribe, particularly for the time period of the end. Okay. So this is very important. And we have to keep that in mind when we're looking at this, you know, what is the context? Okay. So the first thing I wanted to do uh, was looking at the word again, Yahuda. Okay. So we've got the name. The first thing we see in his name, which means praise, according to his mother, Leah. This is the same as the name of Yahweh, except a doorway, a dalit, has been placed within it. Let's look a little further at this word picture. So we have a yod. I'm circling it here with my mouse. You can see it. It is the right arm with the hand ready to grasp, okay, stretched out. Okay, and then we've got a man standing with both arms raised. And the meaning of this letter, hey, is like, behold, something's been revealed. Take a deeper look into this. You know, wow, this has been put on display for all to see. Peer deeper. Okay, and then we have a vav, a nail. Okay, so and then we have the dalit, a doorway, a tent flap. And then again, the hey, behold, look deeper, take a, a good look at this, right? So when I put together a meaning of the word picture, and there's no manual to say whether I'm right or wrong on this, right? I can't find anything. The, the pictographic language was always meant to be a language that the common man could understand. The, the type of language where you don't have to have six degrees on the wall in order to have an opinion on it or be able to read it or be able to understand it. it it's a pictographic language. It was meant for all people. Okay, so this is my interpretation of what I'm seeing. This is what I see in the word picture. The right hand, okay, of Yahweh is stretched forth. Behold, the nailed entryway, the doorway, the nailed, behold, the nailed man, okay? He's the entryway unto understanding, unto revelation, Okay, that's what I see in this. Okay, so the blessing is that the brothers shall praise him. So the word for praise is yada. It's the meaning is found in Brian, uh, found in Brown Driver Briggs is to throw or shoot arrows, to cast down or throw, to give thanks, laud or praise, uh, to confess the name of Yahweh, to confess sin, to give thanks. Okay. Um, 
it's also, uh, you know, another, another similarly spelled word is about an intimacy, a oneness. Okay. So you've got a lot of different meanings coming forth there. There's a whole lot of context that this word can be used in. So I wanted to try and get a word picture. And in everything, it's like we've got a picture of light and a picture of dark, a picture of light, a picture of dark. It seems to all follow the pattern of, I have set before you this day, uh, life and death, and I would that you would choose life, right? This is what y'all always tells us in every situation, but it's like in every situation, in every letter, in every word picture, you've got a way that can walk you into light, or you've got a way that can walk you into death. And I think it's the same with all the tribes and, and there's decisions to be made, right? And he wants us on the path that leads to life. Okay. So when I'm looking at this word, yada, here's the word picture I saw, you know, and I tend to look for light, right? That's what I'm trying to look for. The right hand of Yah will open the door, behold, right? So it is, it's kind of like, too, if you're just looking for a hand opening a door and you're going to behold what's, what's behind the door, right? You're going to be able to see what's behind the door. Now, if you're looking from this in a very dark connotation, you know, a hand can reach out and open a very bad door and you're going to behold what's behind that door too, right? This is like that cast down and the arrows, but I'm looking at the word praise. And if I'm looking at a word praise and intimacy, I'm thinking, you know what? It's Yah's hand opening this door and I'm going to behold him when I see what's behind the door because he is the doorway into the kingdom. I hope that makes sense. All right. So in verse eight of the scripture in Genesis 49, Genesis 49, eight, we are told his hand shall be in the neck of his enemies. So this word for hand is literally the word for the name Yod, the letter Yod in scriptures. Okay. So we're, we're seeing out of the Genesis 49. Let me go back up. All right. You are whom Yehuda, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemies. Now we get to your father's children shall bow down before you. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Okay, let's see what that looks like. Okay, right here. The father's children shall bow down before thee. So the word here for father is ab, like abba. Abba, abba, you know, it's like saying daddy or papa, you know, it's that soft word for the father, right? And so we, it's an aleph bet. Okay. And then Bene is the word for children. It is a bet noon. So there's, it's a house where life is sprouting up, where generations are coming forth. It's children being born. Okay. Of the house of the generations. Okay. So it's the house that belongs to the father where life is coming forth. His children, it's Abba's house and his children are in it. They shall bow down before thee. So that word for bow down is shaka. It's only one word in Hebrew. It's shaka. All right. So you've got a shin and a 
het and a hey, which is behold. Okay, we were just looking at that with the revelation of it. All right. Okay, so the word picture to me is the generations that dwell in the home of the crowned chief, the king. All right. Sharp walls will cause them to have humility. It's a, there's a sharpness. There's a, there's requirements. Okay. There's um, like the point of the spear. You, you can see it. There's, it's here. It's something that consumes. Okay. When you live in this house to stay in this house, to me, it's just like the, the parable of the seed and the sower. If you want to live in this house as children of the father, there's some tough decisions to be made, right? It's, it's, it's sharp. It, it will consume your life. It, you know, it is a free gift that costs you everything because it requires your heart. It requires everything that you have. It creates a boundary line in your life that says, these are the boundaries I'm going to live underneath. And they're the boundaries that my father gave me. And I know that if I want to be in his house, I got to live within these boundaries because that's where he is. Okay. And then I'm going to behold him. It causes that sense of humility, that, that sense of surrender. When I look at this, behold, I see a sense of surrender. I surrender all. That's what I see in it. You know, am I right? Again, this is my interpretation. Someone else may get further revelation, may see more for us. Hi, Dabari. Good to see you here today. Um, so, you know, it, and what I'm saying is I may not have the fullness, but this is the little bit that y'all gave me to share with you guys today. All right. So now let's move on to this prophecy where he's talking about the lion and the lion's whelp. Okay. So I just want to reread that. So it says, Yahuda is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son, you are gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Okay. So let's go and see what we've got here today. So I borrowed from this book today. This is called uh, The Twelve Tribes of Israel. It was written by Gwen Shaw back in the 1980s. I bought my copy in 2002. I believe it is now out of print, unfortunately, but I know that some people in our group have been able to find PDF copies and whatnot. So um, if you're curious about that, you can bring it up as a question on our telegram group. And there are people there who have tracked this down and been able to find it. So, but I wanted to read for you what she's got and, and the charts that I showed you earlier at the beginning of the show, both of those came from this book. Okay. She did so much good work in here that it is amazing. So I wanted to read you uh, to you what she had said out of the lions. And this is in her section called Yehuda starts on page two. I know my friend Heather said, if I'm reading out of this book, because she was able to get a copy to tell her what page I was on, on so she can see it for herself. Okay. So the lion, the lion is known. Oh, and you know what? I will remove this while I'm reading. Okay. 
the lion is known and i'll show you a bigger picture again because you guys might not have been able to see this before because i had my picture really small okay this is what it looks like by gwen shaw all right okay the lion is known through all ages as the majestic beast the king of beast there are certain characteristics about the lion which i feel we ought to consider now you'll also know on last week's program i did a characterization of the four major banners and told you some certain things that I saw about the lion. And that did not come from her book. That one had come from my research. But today I'm reading from her book and what she'd given about the lion. And I love it how she has this broken down. Okay. So the gur, well, um, let me go up a little bit. She said there are seven different words used for lion in the um, Old Testament, indicating different ages and stages, but there are three used in this particular prophecy. Now, I have not looked at what all seven of these are. I am going to look that up because I find it very interesting, but um, I'm going to read you about the three that she told about. So we've got a gore as a lion's whelp. We've got an arye, he coucheth as a lion. Um, that is uh, the young violent lion. And then we've got uh, um, an old lion who shall rouse him up. So we see that all in Genesis 49.9. All right. So the lion. The lion is known through all ages as the majestic beast, the king of beasts. There are certain characteristics about the lion, which I feel we ought to consider. So she starts with the gur, the whelp or the cub. First of all, the whelp. This is the baby lion who has still not been taught to defend itself. It relies on its mother for protection and spends the first part of its life in playing and getting into mischief, vexing its wiser and older family members. It is afraid of its shadow, and in its foolishness, it gathers together with other little cubs, thinking that it will be protected by quantity rather than quality and strength. It is known for its yelping rather than for its roar, the roar has still not been developed. The newborn cub is covered by dark spots on a pale background, uh, a pale ground color, but these markings are generally lost with approaching maturity. In some lions, however, the spots are retained on the limbs, the underparts, and flanks throughout life. The cubs are born at any time of the year. There's no definite breeding season. The litter varies from two to four rarely six. They are born blind. That's very interesting, right? The eyes open when they are about a week old. Seven days. The eyes open in seven days. I find that prophetically very interesting. Okay. They do not become adult until the permanent canines replace the milk teeth at the age of about one year. The lion reaches its prime at about five or six years of age, the lifespan of the lion is about 25 years or more. Yehuda, Judah, until he reaches spiritual adulthood. So she gives the facts of the of what she sees in the natural. And then she gives a spiritual interpretation of what she sees. Welcome, uh, welcome, Lynn. Welcome, Rebecca. Good to see you guys here, too. Alrighty. So here's her spiritual interpretation on this young lion, the Gur. 
Judah, until he reaches spiritual adulthood, is far from majestic. He knows his birthrights, but in his blindness, with his undeveloped and imperfected, imperfected nature, the spots, he is an easy prey for his enemy. As long as Judah is living on the milk diet, he cannot reach the stage where he enters into his ministry. There are many Christians today who are in the tribe of Judah, but there is no indication of their royal birth because they are in the yelping cub stage. They are either playful or bossy and become obnoxious because they've not grown into the greatest greatness of maturity in their neophyte state. They irritate and aggravate those they work with and are very unteachable and untrainable. Many are cast on the rubbish heap of humanity because those who could have trained them gave up on them, having been worn out in the process of trying. Well, I think that's that's just a, a wonderful prophetic insight there, right? Hi, Yosef. Good to see you. So that was what she had to share on the young lion. Now she's going into the Arya, the like the the lion that has not reached full maturity, but they are an adult lion at this point. So this is the second stage and it portrays the young violent lion who is full of self-confidence and foolishness. He has developed his roar and he goes around terrorizing the neighborhood with his commands and threats because he's full grown in size, but not in intelligence. And his worst enemy is himself. At this stage, he's outgrown his yelping and developed other sounds such as coughs, grunts, growls, and deep purring noises. We meet Judahites every day who are working on these different ways of expressing themselves. Don't let their deep purring fool you. In the lion parks of Africa, these young lions sometimes bite the tires of a motor car. Sometimes they are so playful that they may run after the car. Often in the evenings, they start roaring and their roaring can reach such a crescendo that they can be heard many kilometers away. It is not done in anger, but generally to pronounce their presence. All right, moving on to the third lion type that we see in the prophecy of Judah. Here's what Gwen Shaw wrote. The Labayoth. This is the full-grown, old, stout, mighty lion who has grown into maturity and wisdom through experience. He is honored and respected by all. He may have two, three, or more wives. He lives in a pride, a group, because lions are very jealous of their territory. The prides must be kept apart. When in a lion park, they are divided by six to seven foot high fences. Even then, they are known to have jumped over these fences. And when they do, a violent fight will immediately erupt with death or injury as, a res as the result. Among themselves in their own pride, they are usually sociable and they live together in parties of a dozen or more. The lion hunts by night and spends the day lying under the cover in the shade of trees or rocks. After the lion has patiently stalked his prey, he makes a lightning fast charge for the kill. They operate with a great cunning and skill because of their skill, strength, and size. Some average nine foot six inches, including the tail, and they stand about three foot at the shoulder, weighing four to five hundred pounds. They are truly the king of the beast. Their beauty and majesty reminds one of the mature Christian who knows who he is in God. 
He will guard his territory and not allow the enemy to come in and possess his inheritance, which God has given him. He moves in the wisdom of experience and rules over the darkness of the night as king over all the animal nature that would victimize him and rob him of his royal possession in God. May the tribe of Judah truly grow into the maturity of the Labaoth. So I just thought that was really interesting part of her book that I wanted to share with you. And um, now I'm going to add back my screen and can continue to share with you from my notes. Okay. So we did this one. Now we're going to look at the, at the scepter. So let's just go back up to the prophecy for a moment. And it says, the scepter shall not depart from Yahuda, nor a Torah giver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. You know, from this point forward, I'm really concentrating on what I see revealed in the in the Mashiach and in, in Yahusha who came from the tribe of Yahudah. So let's just take a look at the scepter. The word is Shabet. Okay. So in Shabet, we've got the scepter will destroy the scattering of those that belong in the house. Okay. So why do I get this as the word picture? This was my word pictures. In other words, the rulership of Yahuwah has a plan to regather into his house those who are scattered into the nations and surrounded by the snake. So I'm going to have to um, explain what that means. So we've got a shin, a bet, and a tet. And so what I want to go into, we've talked about the shin. It's the, it's the, what consumes, it looks like, you know, the teeth that are showing inside the mouth. It's, it's a consumption. It's a destruction, right? It's something that's very sharp and pointed. Okay. And then you've got the bet, the house. And we've, we've talked about both of those letters, but now we have the tet on the end of it, the scepter, the shabet. Okay. So what's significant about this tet and within the word scepter I don't think that my word picture will, will make sense unless I go into quite an explanation on what this letter tet in the, in the pictograph means. Okay, so tet. Rebecca, I am so happy to see your comment there. I'm so glad that you are feeling uh, blessed by this, and I appreciate you being here. I appreciate all of you being here. Okay, so going into the letter tet. Tet is like the four corners, the scattering into the nations, okay? This is what you see. Um, the four corners of the earth, the north, the east, the west, the south. Now, I put it that way because when I think about it, I think about, you know, seed being broadcast, what's being scattered. When you look at a news broadcast, what is happening? We're go it's going out to the north, the east, the west, and the south. Their words are being broadcast out like seeds. And, and if you choose to allow those things to land in your ears and into your heart, right? It, I believe most of what we see 
being cast about from the news, what's the broadcast that's happening right now, it's an evil seed and it will sow fear, which is what the snake is all about. Okay, is see it is the Ouroboros here, the serpent uh, eating its own tail, right? Well, I'm going to go into this a little bit more. So it's when we look at Tet, it's the snake in the basket. It's something that's twisted, something that surrounds, it's coiled. It's a full basket with no more capacity for other things. Baskets were often also made of mud and clay, which is dirt. So it could be a snake in an earthen vessel. Okay. And we've got to think about that also. What are human beings except earthen vessels. We were made from the dust of the earth. So we see this ancient symbol of the Ouroboros, an ancient symbol depicting a serpent or a dragon, which is eating its own tail. All right. So I wanted to read you a little bit of um, information that I found out when I was looking up this whole thing about the Ouroboros. The following information was taken from the Ouroboros mythology. All right. So uh, the Ouroboros is a constellation in the Northern Hemisphere. It is unique among the modern constellations in being split into two non-contiguous parts. The serpent's kaput, which is the serpent's head, to the west, and the serpent's Kada, which is its tail, to the east. So it spans from the west to the east all the way. All right. Between these two halves lies the constellation Ophicus. Okay. I wanted to, I'm going to read you a little bit about that, but let me finish what they have to say about it in this mythology thing. Um, between these two halves lies the constellation of Ophicus. Ophicus, and I'm going to show you a picture, the serpent bearer, the serpent that Ophicus is holding is the Ouroboros, okay? The continuing cycle. Here's another way of looking at Ophicus, the snake holder and the Ouroboros. If the Ouroboros represents cycles, and that's what it is, you'll see it many times in a figure eight instead of just a circle. And that figure eight is always representative of we've completed one thing and now we're starting again. It's why that this, this feast of Sukkot is a seven day cycle that has an eighth day on the end of it. Okay. It's because it's called Simchat Torah and we start the whole Torah portion over again. And it's the last great day of the festival. Even though it's described as a seven day feast, it has a new one on top of it. And when you think about that, when the millennial kingdom, uh, the millennial reign of a thousand years ends, then seven thousand full years have have taken place and then the 8,000th year begins and a brand new thing starts. Okay. But yet there's nothing new under the sun. Right. So a cycle begins again. It's really, it's really an interesting concept. Okay. So it's the continuing cycle. Here's another way of looking at Opicus, the snake holder and the Ouroboros. Uh, am I? Okay. If the Ouroboros represents cycles, let me push this up. Perhaps Opicus is showing us how to control or change those cycles. Now, 
I don't believe that this is remember, this is coming from a very mythological, probably new agey type thing. Right. But I but I do think that their insight on the history of it was very interesting. OK, so. When the Ouroboros is stretched out, it is the way out instead of circling back around the cycle. They're just trying to give you, you know, like what they would apply to the astrological signs. I don't follow any of that. Okay. All right. Think of it this way. The Ouroboros is naturally eating its own tail. He mastered Opacus, mastered death and leads souls out by stretching out the serpent from its cycle shape. All right. So what I found interesting here, Opacus, the serpent holder, is associated with Asclepius, the noted healer of the Greek legend. Now, we're all very familiar right now with that sign of Asclepius, and it's on every medical thing that you can find, right? Okay, so here's a picture, um, like a representation of what this star, what's this constellation looks like here. Okay, so this is would be the pattern of the stars that it's showing this picture. All right. Now, what's interesting is it's this would be a picture of the entire Milky Way. What's at the center of it, except a very a black hole. And that's the current science thought on what is at the center of our Milky Way is a black hole. Okay. Now, when we get down to this picture, I centered it in on the center, you know, where is the, um, where is the black hole? You can kind of see right here. And then just slightly to the northwest. Let me see if I can find it on my notes again. Sorry, I had it very All right. I'm trying to find exactly. It's so small. Oh, okay. Here it is. Okay. So where my mouse is right here, I hope you guys can see it. It's up to the Northwest of this black hole. Okay. So this is where, you know, it's centered in relation to the center of the Milky Way. Okay. All right. So I thought that was interesting. So let me remove this for a minute. I wanted to share with you a little bit about this constellation out of The Witness of the Stars by E.W. Bollinger. He's talking about serpents and opacus. And so here's how he's got this pictured here, right? You see uh, opacus wrangling this snake that's stretched out with its head from the east and head and tail from the east to the west. Okay. Very interesting. Here's serpents, the, it, he describes it as the struggle with the enemy. Here's serpents, the serpent is seen struggling vainly in the powerful grasp of the man who is named Ophiuchus. Okay, in Latin, he is called Serpentarius. He is at one, he is at one and the same moment shown to be seizing the serpent with his two hands and treading on the very heart of the scorpion marked by the deep red star Antares, which means wounding. So that is at his heel. Very interesting. Just as we read, as we read the first constellation of the woman 
and child coma as expounding the first sign Virgo. So we have to read this first constellation as expounding the second sign Libra. Hence, we have here a further picture showing the object of this conflict on the part of the scorpion. In Scorpio, we see merely the effort to, to wound Ophicus in the heel. But here we see the effort of the serpent to seize the crown. Okay, very interesting. Who wears the crown? Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda, was given kingship, right? And Yahusha is the lawgiver and he wears the crown. Okay, he is the Melech HaMelechim, the king of kings, and he wears the crown. All right. And, so let me read that again. In Scorpio, we merely see the effort to wound Opacus in the heel. But here we see the effort of the serpent to seize the crown, which is situated immediately over the serpent's head and to which he is looking up and reaching forth. He's trying to grab that crown for himself, right? The contest is for dominion. It was the devil in the form of a serpent that robbed the first man of his crown, but in vain he struggled to wrest it from the sure possession of the second man. Not only does he fail in the attempt, but is himself utterly defeated and trodden underfoot. There are no less than 134 stars in these two constellations. They are of the second magnitude, 14 of the third, 13 of the fourth, etc., the brightest star in the serpent, in the neck, in the neck of the serpent. Very, very interesting considering what we just read about the hand of, of Yahudah being in the neck of his enemy. Okay, so the brightest star in the serpent in the neck is named Unuk, which means encompassing, just like we saw in the Ouroboros, right? And the people scattered into the nations. Okay, Yah's people scattered into the nations. Okay, so the brightest star and serpent in the neck is named Unic, which means encompassing. Another Hebrew name is Al-Yah, the accursed. That's what it's called. From this is Al-Hay in Arabic, the reptile. The next brightest star in the jaw named in Arabic, Haleb or Helebalra, the serpent enfolding, the Greek name Ophicus, that's what we were just looking at, is the Greek name, is itself from the Hebrew, an Arabic name, Ophicus, which means the serpent has been held. The brightest star in Ophicus in the head is called Ras al-Hagas in the Arabic, which means the head of him who holds. Other Hebrew names of stars not identified are uh, Troophus, treading underfoot, Sayaf in the foot of Opacus, bruised, <laughs> Carnabus, the wounding, Megaros, contending. In the zodiac of Dindara, we have a throned human figure called Apibo, ah, the chief who cometh. He has a hawk's head to show that he is the enemy of the serpent, which is called Ku and means ruled or enemy. All these combine to set before us in detail the nature of the conflict and its final issue. That final issue, however, uh, exhibited by the last of the three constellations in this, in this chapter, the victor himself requires a whole picture to fully set forth the glorious victory. And then he goes in to start uh, talking about Hercules. So, I mean, I, I love this book. This is another one that I've had, you know, since 
the early, the late nineties. And I've been looking at it and thinking about it as how it corresponds to the tribe ever since. So um, that is um, a big focus of mine is seeing how I can line these things up. All right, let me add back my notes to this to the stream. So when I'm looking here then at the rest of the prophecy that we saw in Genesis 49, what I'm seeing is a picture of, of Yahusha and especially at the very last day. And so you see this when it talks about his garments, right? Let's go back to that prophecy for one minute so I can show you and just look at that part. And then we're going to read the following. So look at his, at this, right? So the scepter's not going to depart from Yehuda nor a Torah giver from between his feet until Shiloh come, until the Mashiach come, right? And unto him, unto the Mashiach, shall the gathering of the people be, okay? This is who we're gathering unto. <laughs> That's the whole point of the greater exodus and going towards him. We're walking towards him, okay? So binding his foal unto the vine. What did we see? When he told he entered Yerushalayim on the foal of a of a donkey, right? Um, the ass's colt unto the choice vine, right? The grapes, the fruit, the goodness. What did he do? He washed his garments in wine. What is this? This is his judgment. Okay, this is his judgment poured out. His clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his his teeth. Uh, white with milk. So now let's look at the, at what corresponds to this. And that is found in Jeremiah. Let me get back. I'm sorry, in Isaiah. <laughs> it's lots of places, but you can see it here very specifically. The day of the Lord's vengeance, Isaiah 63, 1. And I took all my scriptures from um, the Sefer. So out of Esword, it's great because you can get a free copy right there on Esword. Um, I wish it had all of the lost books of the Bible too. It does not. They don't let them do that on Esword, but I sure wish it did because that would be extremely convenient because <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot more that I could add in from those books. And I'm just going to have to do my own, uh, a, a more difficult search, but I can find more things as I do, do it that way. All right. So anyway, Isaiah 63, 1. Who is this that comes from Edom with dyed garments from Batrah? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, right? Isn't that seen in the heavens? You see him in the battle in the heavens, right? The heavens declare the glory of Elohim, right? I, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Who is mighty to save? There's only one. His name is, is Yahusha. There's only one. Wherefore are you red? So here's the question that the people are asking him. Wherefore are you red in your apparel and your garments like him that treads in a wine fat? Isn't that what we just read in the blessing in Genesis for Yehuda? Okay. And here's his answer. Here's Mashiach's answer. I have trodden the winepress alone and of the people there was none with me for I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments and I will stain all my remit for the day of vengeance is in my heart 
and the year of my redeemed has come. Now, I believe that this takes place on the final Yom Kippur. And I believe that, you know, when I'm looking for what many people call a rapture, I call a resurrection. And I believe that that happens at Yom Teruah at the last trump. And I believe it's in quick succession. I believe we live through the tribulation and that at the very end, this is how it plays out. That's just my personal belief on that. Okay. So he says, for the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked and there was none to help. Why was there none to help? Because he had already resurrected us, right? Um, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. He said, there's nobody living righteously anymore. Therefore, my own arm, the right arm, my own yod, right? My own hand, my own arm brought salvation unto me and my fury, it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in my anger, those who refused to choose the path of life and chose death, 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 right? They had a covenant with death. And I will tread down the people in my anger and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. All right. So I just wanted to look at just a little bit more with Yehuda and kingship. So we see this word king, Malek. All right. The first place we find it is in Genesis 14. And I always like to look at the law of first mention, but Malek. Okay. We've got a king, a royal. We've got a mem, a lamed, and a kuf is how you spell this word. I wanted to put it there in the word picture for you. I should have gotten that a little bit bigger, but uh, this is the word Malek. So you've got uh, the waters of chaos and you've got what? A rod, a staff, a lamed of leadership of the shepherd and the wing, the outstretched hand, palm, open palm of that shepherd. So he rules over chaos. <laughs> That's what he's showing us here. That's the word king. The king rules over chaos with his open hand. All right. Another word, malak. Okay. See, see what Strong's does. They'll give it to you. It's spelled exactly the same except for Masoretic vowel pointings. And then they, but they changed the pronunciation according to what they decided in Babylon would fit the language when they switched from pictograph language to block script language. Right. All right. So here we have so it's the same thing. And I'm looking at a definition from um, Strong's Brown Driver Briggs. It is a, the primitive root to reign inceptively to ascend to the throne. Okay. Royalty. The king. So then Yehuda in uh, Genesis 29:35, where he is named, we see what he's named. It, it, it is 3063. And spelled exactly with what I was showing you in the pictograph earlier, we've got a Yod, a hay, a Bob, a Dalit, and a hay. Okay, so we already went through that in the pictograph. Um, the definition we're given in Strong's is celebrated. Uh, the name of five Israelites, also the tribe descended from the first in its territory, Judah. Okay, now I wanted to read this to you just to kind of get a prophetic picture of where we're at. Okay. This, this is what y'all showed me this week. And this is going to be the, the last part of the teaching. 
I know my teachings can get kind of long <laughs> and I feel like I'm only doing a little bit, but they, they're kind of long. It's a lot to digest, right? All right. So Jeremiah 33, starting in verse one, the Yah himself is going to, has promised us his peace. Moreover, the word of Yahweh came unto El Yirmiyahu the second time while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison saying, so, I mean, look there, right there, there's Yah's faithfulness unto his servant, Jeremiah, who he ordained to be a prophet from his youth and be able to hear his voice. And now they've locked him away in prison because the false prophets and the kings can't stand the truth that he's speaking. But Yah is so faithful that no matter where Jeremiah is, right, Yah comes to him and speaks his word to him. And so this is what's happening Thus says Yahweh, the maker thereof, Yahweh that formed it to establish it. Yahweh is his name. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. He's saying, don't you give up, Jeremiah. You just keep calling out to me and I'm going to show you and show you. I will open the windows of heaven for your understanding so that you can understand what is happening in my kingdom and what are the purposes of my heart, right? For thus says Yahweh, the Elohai of Yasharel, concerning the houses of this city and concerning the houses of the kings of Yahudah, which are thrown down by the mounts and by the sword. They come to fight with the Kazdim. Okay, what's he saying? They think that they're going to come against the sorcerers, the magicians, right? But it is to fill them with the dead bodies of men. He's saying, this is not going to go well, right? Whom I have slain in my anger and in my fury. And for all whose wickedness, I have hid my face from this city. He's saying, you've been so wicked. You've refused to walk in my ways. And I've hid myself. And you think that you're going to come and fight with the Kazdim and that I'm going to be with you? This is what he's showing Jeremiah. Behold, I will bring it health and cure. I will cure them and reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. He's like, your peace and your truth is going to come from me. So let's look at this. Health. I will bring it health. What is health? Aruka. It is, uh, it's a restoring of soundness. It is a wholeness. It's a, it's something that had been taken away. But now it is being restored back to the way it should be. I will bring it health and cure. What does he mean? I will cure. He said it's marpe. It means um, I'm going to give it a, a medicine. I will deliver. Okay. All right. I will be the remedy, the healing. So then let's look back at the verse again. Behold, I will bring it health and cure. I will cure them and reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. So what is he saying? I will cure them. It's a different word. So here we get Rafa, right? Um, Yahuwah Rafa is his name. He's our healer. It means to mend by stitching. I'm going to mend them by stitching them back up. This is what he's saying. What? What do you need to stitch back up? It's something that's been torn apart. What was torn apart? His entire people, his kingdom scattered out into the nations. His body has been literally ripped apart and sent out into the nations. And he's saying, I'm going to cure it. 
I'm going to stitch it back up. I'm going to take the stick of Ephraim and the stick of Yehuda representing the two houses and bring them back and they shall become one stick in my hands. This is what's being said here. Okay. And I will cause the captivity of Yehuda and the captivity of Yasharel to return. And I will build them as at the first. The, here's our promise. I am so looking forward to this promise. Sometimes I feel like I dream, eat, sleep, drink, and breathe this promise. Everything within me is looking for this greater exodus when Yah gathers his people and we're lonely no more, where the tribes are brought back together and family that we've never met, we get to meet for the first time. And we have that kind of fellowship. And it sounds like a big family reunion to where finally we are back together and we have one purpose and we are serving Yah with all our hearts. Thank you, Tammy. That's exactly what it is. I'm longing for it. I can't wait, Tammy, to end up giving you a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I love your messages to me. We email once in a while and, and I can't wait to be able to have that real fellowship, you know, with the family that right now is scattered. So I'm looking for it and it's a promise. It will happen. Jeremiah 33, eight, and I will cleanse them of all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me and I will pardon their iniquities right? He says, come, let us reason together, you know, and I will make your sins as white as snow. I love that promise. Whereby they have sinned and whereby they've transgressed against me. And it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and an honor before all the nations of the earth, which shall hear all the good that I do unto them. And they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and for all the prosperity that I procure unto it. Thus says Yahweh, again, there shall be heard in this place, which ye, shall, which ye say shall be desolate and without man and without beast, even in the cities of Yahudah and in the streets of Yerushalayim, right? The new heaven, the new earth coming down, right? I'm not seeing it in the pile of rocks that's currently called the nation of Israel that has as wicked a government as any other on, on the planet at this point, right? But there's something new coming, the renewed, right? The What's been, been redone, stitched up, healed, okay? So thus says Yahweh, again, there shall be heard in this place, which ye shall say, which, which ye say shall be desolate without man and without beast, even in the cities of Yahudah and in the streets of Yerushalayim that are desolate without man, without inhabitant and without beast. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, praise Yahuwah Zavaot, for Yahweh is good. For his mercy endures forever. And of them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of Yahweh. For I will cause to return the captivity of the land as at the first, says Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh Zavaot again in this place, which is desolate, without man and without beast, and in all the, the cities thereof shall be a habitation of shepherds, 
causing their flocks to lie down. What is that as if it is not Psalm 23, where he leads us beside the still waters, right? And restores our soul, where he prepares a banqueting table for us in the presence of our enemies, right? This is, this is the final Sukkot, right? This is what we're rehearsing for. There's a banquet being laid out for us in the presence of our enemies. Okay. In the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the valley, and in the cities of the Negev, and in the land of Benjamin, and in the places about Yerushalayim, and in the cities of Yahuda, shall the flocks pass again under the hands of him that tells them, says Yahweh. Behold, the days come, says Yahweh, that I will perform the good thing which I've promised unto the house of Yasharel and to the house of Yehuda. This is all 12 tribes. Okay. All 12, the whole house. In those days and at that time, will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David. Okay. And he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. So in David, we have a Dalit Vav Dalit. You have the doorway, the nail, the doorway, right? Enter where the nail, where you saw that nail, right? Enter into the door where the nailed man was, The right? He is the door, <laughs> Yahusha. In those days shall Yahuda be saved and Yerushalayim shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith sh she shall be called Yahuah Zidkanu. I just wanted to look at this one word, Zidkanu. This is righteousness. It's a Zadi Dalit Kuf right? It's righteousness. It's, it's Yahweh, our righteousness. Okay. That he is, it's the righteousness of judges, of rulers, of kings, of the law, of the law giver, the Davidic king, Mashiach, right? Of Yerushalayim as the seat of just government, of God's attributes, right? Of Yahweh's attributes, righteousness, justice, rightness in our speech, Righteousness is in what is ethically right. Righteousness as vindicated justification in controversy, deliverance, victory, prosperity of, of Yahweh himself as a covenant keeping redemption. The name of our messianic king, Yahusha, right? Of people enjoying salvation. All righty. Very cool. All right, continuing on in Jeremiah 33, 17. For thus says Yahweh, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Yasharel, right? And this we know because who sat in that seat? Yahusha is the final king, okay? Neither shall the priest of the Levayim want a man before me to offer sending smoke offerings and to kindle oblations and do the sacrifice continually. Why is that? Because we've become kings and priests unto Yahuwah. He is the high priest. Okay. And the word of Yahuwah came unto El Yeremiahu saying, Thus says Yahuwah, if you can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night and that there should not be day and night in their season, right? This is that covenant that, that Chris and I have been looking at in Enoch 69, the oath of Becca, okay? If you didn't see our 
our introduction to Hebrews yesterday, Chris did a fabulous uh, presentation. He and I are going to be bringing forth his Out of Africa show every Wednesday at one o'clock. And he's going to be sharing with us the truth that he he gets out of the scriptures, which is just unbelievable. Fantastic. I hope you can join us for that. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate your comments too. All right. So at Jeremiah 33, 21 then may also my covenant be broken with David, my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne. And with the Levim, the priest, my ministers, he's saying it'll never happen. My covenant will never, ever be broken as the host of heaven cannot be numbered. Neither the sand of the sea measured. So will I multiply the seed of David, my servant and the Levim that minister unto me. Moreover, the word of Yahweh came to El Yermiyahu saying, Consider you not what this people have spoken, saying the two families of Yahweh, which Yahweh has chosen, ha he has even cast them off. It's a question. Has he really cast them off? No. Thus, they have despised my people that they should be no more a nation before them. Thus says Yahweh, if my covenant be not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then will I cast away the seed of Yaakov and David, my servant, so that I will not take any of his seed to be rulers over the seed of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, for I will cause their captivity to return and have mercy upon them. Right. He's saying it'll never happen. I will never cast off my two families. Never. All right. Because those two families have become those who have hearts of flesh that have willingly said, "Yah, take my heart, mold it and shape it and make me into who you desired for me to be someone fit to be in your kingdom. OK, so I just wanted to end with this. It's beautiful. It's in Hebrews 1, 7 and 8. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels ruakoth and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the son, he says, your throne, O Elohim, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. All right. Well, I hope that that has been a blessing unto you today. And I hope you'll come back um, with me next week. We're going to just continue week after week to look into the significance of the tribes and what Yah was saying to us through each and every teaching to the tribe, each and every blessing to the tribe. And um, that's going to be the focus of this show every Thursday. So I hope you'll continue to join me. Now, later today, um, in a, a little less than two hours, uh, James and Lee Carruther, Carruthers have a new show called Between the River and the Raven. So at four o'clock Eastern, um, that show is going to be airing live on this channel on all the Heart of the Tribe platforms. James Carruthers has been working very hard to get us on multiple platforms. So wherever you watch, that's where uh, that's where they'll be on today. So I hope all these things are a blessing unto you. We've got a lot of stuff scheduled for tomorrow, too. We've got... Um, uh, mercy poured forth first thing in the morning at 930 in the morning. And then, um, and Lee Carruthers uh, will be bringing that. 
And then we also have Kat and Lee Hood's show later in the afternoon. So that will be on tomorrow also. Uh, Blood of the Lamb Ministries. And I believe that starts, I believe it starts at 4.30. I'll just have to check that schedule for time. I bet you that um, Lee and James will be announcing that time also for us. So thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you have a wonderful day. I hope that you're starting to get your hearts ready to enter into the Shabbat. That's kind of, this is kind of my last thing that I do for the week so that uh, tomorrow I can have my preparation day and enter into the Shabbat. And on Shabbat, Lee Hood and James Carruthers will be coming to bring our Let's Talk Torah. That starts at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that is proving to be a really very um, in, in enlightening time for us, a, a time to really dig into the Torah portion. We've got a double portion this week. And so we're, I'm really looking forward to that. All right. Well, that is it for today. Thank you so much for being with me. And I hope you'll come back and join us for all the wonderful things we have going on on the platform. Shalom. Their journey began in Yasharal. but they were scattered across the face of the earth. Each one with its own beats, and each one with its own rhythm. As the dry bones are being revived, the beat begins again at the heart of the tribe.